Hello, and thank you for listening. I go by the name of RW, and this is Movie Podcast. So today I'm going to be talking about the 1998 film Sour Grapes, written and directed by Larry David of Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld Acclaim. I'm definitely a fan, mostly of Curb. It's it's a movie that has been looked over by critics, filmgoers, comedy fans, and David himself. It was a commercial and critical flop, as one may say. It just seemed to miss the mark. It should also be noted, it is, uh, it was David's first crack at writing and directing a motion picture. At this point in 1998, up to this point in his career, he had, uh, he had worked in writing for television and doing stand-up comedy and acting. So, so I'll give him some elbow room for that, but it's not a very good movie. It's, uh, it's rough. I watched this film on my phone, uh, through the Tubi app, which is a, it's a great little streaming platform to get some free movies if you don't mind about uh, four to five minutes of advertisements uh, sort of uh, coming in at different parts comes in across the movie but I rationalize it as being, it's free, it's no different than watching a movie on uh, TV, and it's still uncensored, so, so it's, uh, it's got that going, and I'll also say one thing about watching it on the, uh, at least on the app, from on the iPhone app is that you can uh, screen share so I can leave the app and text and look up shit with the uh, film still playing on a smaller screen and I definitely I definitely did that a couple times in the middle of this movie because this it was it was kind of It was kind of rough. It was a very, it's very bitter the whole way through. The title of the film is appropriate, but I'm not surprised going into that because I do think that's a, I do think that's a part of Larry David's style. I mean, he's a bitter motherfucker. I don't think anybody's. I don't think anybody's gonna. 
deny that. So in many ways, when you watch this film, you kind of get, especially like watching it now with context after, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm has been on for 20 years, you kind of get exactly what you expect. And I think there's uh, some redeemable qualities about this movie, namely, uh, namely in the dialogue and uh, the screenplay. This, yeah, just the 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 writing. Jesus Christ, feeling a little sensitive today. Not gonna lie. I've been doing everything backwards. I woke up, slept in a little late, and uh, thought to myself, "Man, I need to get some, I need to get some Caribbean food." So I went down to the spot, and it, I don't know what happened. This is the first day when like the heat really kicked in. So I've just been just congested all to all to hell, and then I get to the spot, the restaurant to get the oxtail and there's no fucking AC I'm dying and, you know I get the food and then I slacked on the train so I probably spent about two hours getting home because a lot of the a couple of the trains were weren't running and yeah it's congested and then I eat the Oxen. I don't know if I'm like allergic to cabbage or something like that, but I'm just it just made me like twice as congested. So then I figured, okay, I'll make you know, I'll make coffee. I gotta do the podcast. I gotta do this, I brew up some I take a shower and I brew the coffee and probably should have gone with tea because now I'm just I don't know, I'm doing everything backwards. I'm just trying to run I'm I'm running on instincts here. And this is just the path I chose for the day, so I'm finishing it out by talking about the movie Sour Grapes. It's what it is. But yeah, it could have been, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it came just came down to uh, presentation. And, and I'll say this, I can guarantee you that if this film had, instead of the two honky lead actors, no disrespect, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're fine in other movies, but if David had just played one of the lead characters and had uh, Jerry Seinfeld play the opposite, because it kind of seems like that, they seem to be the templates for the characters, this movie would be viewed a lot more favorably retrospectively and it probably would have been done better it probably would have been looked upon better with people on switch that's just my opinion i mean when i and when i read about this movie on on uh, imdb the only the only uh trivia it lists is talking about uh, roger ebert just really not liking it him putting it on his uh, most hated movies list. 
as a uh, self-conscious film goer. I can understand why uh, people seem to take uh, these critics' opinions to heart. But they really shouldn't. Roger Ebert is just a man like anybody else. In fact, he was missing half of his face at the end of his life. So what's that say about the state of cinema? I don't know. Okay, I guess what I'm trying to say with that is just think for yourselves, people. If you want to know how you think about a movie, just watch it. Stop watching it if you don't like it and watch something else. Time's of the essence here. There's too many movies. You can't be expected to see every fucking movie, and you really shouldn't give a shit. I'm trying to have less of the. I'm trying to have. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do everything I can to avoid being seen as a film buff. But the problem is I'm already in too deep. Because I've seen... Because <laughs> I've fucking seen more than one Francois Truffaut film. So I already fucked up. But I know that we're all going to make it out all right. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. This movie. This is. This is. I. I didn't. I didn't. Personally, I'll, I'll probably never watch this movie again. I didn't care for it too much. But I can respect it for what it is. It's a. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a prototype for the style for the it was a prototype for the comedy vehicle that Larry David would really master with Curb Your Enthusiasm. The pitfalls that he fell into with the project, the film having real having a real uh, kind of stiff dialogue. Stiff in the sense that it didn't seem like there was improvisation between the actors. And that, uh, and that really seems to be the, one of the things that works with Curb is, uh, that kind of jazz-like dynamic. And also, I already said, I think he made a mistake by not just playing one of the lead characters. But maybe he just wanted the he needed to experience being behind the director's chair just to get a feel for it. You know, the film is the film and the film's tone is horribly bitter, very cynical. There's a there's a, there's a lot of karmic energy that seems to go through the plot and at the end of the movie 
the two main characters are actually really worse off than they started. The only person who really has any good fortune by the end is the is uh, the hobo that uh, the guy gave the tracksuit to. But I do think karma is a theme in this movie. I know that Larry David's a uh, transcendental meditation guy, and him and Seinfeld credited that with uh, helping them write the show. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm looking too deep, but when you're when you're watching a movie like this, an almost uh, 25 year old comedy film, it uh, it's sour grapes. It ain't it ain't really aged like wine. So the plot of the film is there's two main characters who are uh, cousins, best friends. The very first scene of the film, they're named Evan and Richie. The very first scene of the film is of them as young, and it's Richie's father's funeral. And it establishes that Richie has an overbearing mother. Kind of a, and kind of a, yeah, kind of an overbearing, kind of, yeah, and that, becomes the only real interesting uh, plot point that really pushes the plot anywhere later. So that's why they have that as the first scene. And then it cuts to them in their in their uh, current situation. They're adults. Uh, Evan is a Doctor and Richie is a sneaker designer. And they both take their girlfriends on a trip to Atlantic City. Where, while playing um, slot machines, Evan loans Richie two quarters that he puts into the machine and hits a jackpot for, uh, for about a half million dollars. And... And Evan... Uh, feels basically feels that he's owed half the amount so the whole movie is this uh, the whole movie is this uh, kind of about this bitter feud between the two friends over this over this money And in the in the uh, middle of the second act, Evan pulls a prank on Richie by telling him that he has a that he's sick and he's gonna die soon. So thinking he's gonna die soon, Richie. Uh, gives the keys to his house to a homeless guy so he could go uh, scare his mom to death because he was convinced that if he's going to die he has to kill his mom I think I think this and this is the big 
This is the big plot point. And it's strange. It's very bizarre. It's very, very Freudian, I guess. And I think it's a... I think it... Uh, I think I I, th I think this I think this example of writing is why that piece is why Larry David didn't hasn't written another movie and why he doesn't why why he doesn't like have uh, why in his television writing he he doesn't have plots that go anywhere because I think I think he's a little too it might it might be he's a little too kind of gummed up by his own neuroses to make a story that can get past that something something like this mommy issue with this character maybe it's just a, it's 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 just an idea. You know, it, it it's 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 more it's more than likely he just doesn't take he doesn't want to take it too seriously. Cuz you know, for as dark as a uh for as dark as an idea as that is, a guy, you know, trying to kill his own trying to quote trying to mercy kill his own mom that's pretty dark it's still it still comes off as very cartoonish <laughs> but 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 unfortunately does not it's still it's kind of just weird it doesn't it's not it's not very funny nothing not a lot not a lot of the jokes hit But, you know, you hear them. It's kind of like when you're seeing a... Uh, the the feeling I get from watching this movie reminds me of, like, it makes me... It kind of makes me imagine being at a comedy show with a kind of icy air in the crowd where even if you hear something funny, you, like, you, like don't laugh because you don't feel comfortable laughing. At least that's that's how I feel sometimes when I'm kind of reading the room too much. I don't know. Maybe you feel differently. Maybe you might watch this movie and have a chuckle. It got a few laughs out of me. But the film ends with their there being a resolution to their feud when Richie's mom, who survives the uh, survives the heart attack after being uh, scared by the homeless guy, has to get brain surgery. So Evan, being a 
surgeon agrees to do the surgery for 200, like the exact, like half of the amount of the jackpot that Evan wins. So he gets the money. But then, but then, and then they both, but they both end up losing each of their share. Oh yeah, and his mom dies anyways. So that's like they, they finally bury the hatchet at her funeral. And then Richie loses the $200,000 because a homeless guy's crashed his house and the landlord asks for the money and then Evan loses the his half in a fight with uh, an actor whose balls he cut off during surgery. It's, it's a strange movie. It's a strange movie. Maybe I'll talk... And, and it, it also... It's, it's, it, I don't know. It's, 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 it's strange. It's a strange... It's a strange film. I don't even know why I wasted... <laughs> this time talking through the plot it's absurd that I even saved mental space for it <laughs> but I watched it and we gotta talk about something some people uh, some people will argue that any story that any one person writes is going to be partially autobiographic. And I'm not saying that this movie is a Larry David telling telling his story about his personal life. One thing I think that Larry David's very good at despite the fact that he plays himself like a caricature of himself on his show is that he keeps his emotions separate from the work from the jokes it's part of what makes uh, it's what's made Curb work for I mean 20 years But I do think there is a bit of, I do think that there's a bit of catharsis. I do think that writing this movie was a cathartic act for Larry David. I think that Just look at it this way. Let me lay this little little theory out there. So Larry David co-writes uh, Seinfeld with Jerry Seinfeld. And he does the show for 
eight years. Writes on it. It's very successful. And then he uh, decides to he decides to leave the show. And throughout my reading, I can't maybe I haven't found the right interview, but I haven't really seen either one of the two say why he decided to leave the show. And not that it really matters, because obviously he wanted, he probably just wanted to do his own thing. But I can't help but see this film, which is the first project he undertook after leaving after leaving Seinfeld as as having a bit of his own personal experience written into the characters and their and their situations I think one way of looking at this movie is uh, in the two main characters is seeing them represent Seinfeld and David. Which one's which, I'm not really certain. But I'd say the character Evan, the surgeon probably in David's mind represents himself, while Richie represents Seinfeld. And I think you could see the jackpot that Evan wins is representing the success that the pair received from the show. Just because of the way he writes the characters, there's there's certain subtleties that seem to imply his feelings about the way things went with Seinfeld. You know, he co-wrote a show that, off of a simple idea, that became hugely successful, probably way beyond what he expected, that has his friend's name on it. He loaned his two cents to the idea, and they hit it big. So maybe he's so maybe he was writing in some of his bitterness about this. And the more I talk about it, the more I realize he definitely if if that is the case, then the character of Evan is definitely more his his insert character. Because he made him the smart guy. You know, Evan's a brain surgeon, Richie's a sneaker designer. Something that Seinfeld was known for on the show was wearing wearing sneakers. And then you know, in one of the last scenes of the movie, Evan sits at a table and he eats humble pie. While the last scene with Richie is him blowing himself. And one thing that is very obviously a, uh, you know, kind of a less passive-aggressive dig 
that Larry David throws in is uh, the subplot involving the actor who uh, who uh, who the character Evan castrates. The character kind of represented because the character is a in the movie he's an actor on a TV show that's it's friends. Like you watch the uh, the the theme music, it, it's it's very obviously a parody of Friends. I guess I guess looking at it in retrospect, it was a show that kind of did exactly what Seinfeld did, but in a more just in a way more palatable to Gentiles. And so I think this was this this was him in his own like in his own biting style critiquing this uh critiquing this 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 show i don't really know what he was trying to say i i I, this the, the thing i like about larry david is he is his is is like the confrontational nature of his comedy style but it's confrontational in like a it's it's like he's not he's not throwing full jabs he's he's he dances around and faints but he's still in the ring i think i'm i, I can only imagine that the success of uh friends bothered him and so he just felt like he had to get that one in there and it obviously bugs him a lot cuz it's it's like i said in the last scene where the character he's sitting there he's he's eating his pie the dude sneaks in and uh, attacks him, and they fight, and then, and then he ends up he ends up in in the fight. He ends up losing. He ends up dropping. He ends up losing all the money he just got. So maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's just he just wrote it for plot convenience. And that's really that's really about it. I. I do think there's something there if if it really bothered him if it, if it really was that big of a deal to him then I think you could I think you could interpret this film as being a personal reflection on what this artist comedian felt was the fruits of one's labor souring the comedic ideas written as catharsis to money driving a stake in a friendship. But primarily, this seems to be just a very straightforward comedy film with uh, very humorous animated acting with a kind of a vaudeville classical vaudeville slash classical music string string uh what do you, what do you want to call it a string soundtrack and a
fairly sour, bitter script from one of comedy's greatest minds. And maybe it offers a bit of a window into this man's psyche, at least for the time when he wrote it, some 20-some years ago. That's why I, that's why you, I, that's what I think you could gather from watching this movie. If you want to watch it to have a laugh, uh, don't watch this movie. And that's, uh, that's how I, that's how I see it. I think the standout performance, uh, would have been the, uh, the woman who played as, Richie's girlfriend. I sort of think uh, David got a performance out of her that seemed to kind of match the energy that uh, the character Susie would come to have in Curb. But on the real, I don't think the dialogue lent itself well to most of these actors' performances. I think they got... I think he just kind of... He kind of got what he got and he in his in his writing he seemed to course correct when he saw how much funnier he can make his material through through riffing and keeping it loose with curb and that's really what you should do if 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 if, if you want to have a laugh just go watch curb i don't know about seinfeld i'm not really a you know, I was born in '97. I kind of missed the. I missed that. My parent, my parents didn't even watch it. My parents were more about Friends, but I missed that one too, because that one ended when I was, like, young. So. Now, as for myself, I am going to. Probably take melatonin. Cause coffee at 4 p.m. might not have been a good strategy here. And then I'm probably going to watch Don John because I had, I'm working on a theory about a certain type of film that, uh, Just kind of being put in front of us by studios around 2011, 2013 in Hollywood, America. But I got to do my research on that first. And I will also say this: I'm, uh, this, I, I'm not, sh I'm not too certain how many more uh, comedy films I'm going to try to review because it kind of just. Uh, I, th I think a lot. I think in a lot of ways, comedy films speak for themselves, and they age in a manner different than dramatic films. Just an opinion. I'm not saying there's not artistic merit to. older comedy films but there is a more noticeable 
shelf life on comedy as a medium. Okay, I'm now going to read a excerpt from John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. I'm not doing this for, this isn't a gag or nothing. This happens to just be the book I'm reading right now. So I'm going to read a little bit. Chapter 12. Highway 66 is the main migrant road. 66, the long concrete path across the country, waving gently up and down on the map from Mississippi to Bakersfield, over the red lands and the gray lands, twisting up into the mountains, crossing the divide and down into the bright and terrible desert, across the desert to the mountains again, and into the rich California valleys. 66 is the path of a people in flight, refugees from dust and the shrinking land, from the thunder of tractors and shrinking ownership, from the desert's slow northward invasion, from the twisting winds that howl up out of Texas, from the floods that bring no richness to the land and steal what little richness is there. From all these the people are in flight, and they come to 66 from the tributary side roads, from the wagon tracks and the rutted country roads. 66 is the mother road, the road of flight. Clarksville into Ozark and Van Buren and Fort Smith on 64, and there's an end in Arkansas and all the roads into Oklahoma City, 66 down from Tulsa, 270 up from McAllister, 81 from Wichita Falls, south from Enid North, Edmond, McLeod, Purcell, 66 out of Oklahoma City, El Reno, and Clinton going west on 66. Hydro, Elk City, Texola, and there's an end to Oklahoma. 66 across the panhandle of Texas, Shamrock and McLean, Conway and Amarillo the Yellow, Wilderado and Vega, in Boise, and there's an end of, excuse me, and there's an end of Texas. Tucumcari and Santa Rosa into the New Mexico mountains to Albuquerque, where the road comes down from Santa Fe. Then there's the gorge Rio Grande to Las Lunas and west up again on 66 to Gallup, and there's the border of New Mexico. And now the high mountains, Hallbrook and Winslow and Flagstaff, and the high mountains of Arizona. Then the Great Plateau rolling like a groundswell, Ashford and Kingsman, and the Stone Mountains again where water must be hauled and sold. Then out of the broken, sun-rotted mountains of Arizona to the Colorado with green reeds on its bank, and that's the end of Arizona. There's California just over the river, and a pretty town to start it. Needles on that river, but the river is a stranger in this place. Up from Needles and over a burned range, and there's the desert. And 66 goes on over the terrible desert where the distance shimmers and the black center mountains hang unbearably in the distance. At last there's Barstow, and more desert until the last mountains rise up again, the good mountains, and 66 winds through them. Then suddenly a pass, and below the beautiful valley, below orchards and vineyards and little houses, and in the distance a city, and oh my god, it's over. The people in flight streamed out on 66, sometimes a single car, sometimes a little caravan. All day they rolled slowly along the road, and at night they stopped near water. In the day, ancient leaky radiators sent up columns of steam, loose connecting rods hammered and pounded, and the men driving the trucks and the overloaded cars listened apprehensively. How far between towns? It is a terror between towns. If something breaks, well, if something breaks, we camp right here while Jim walks down to town and gets apart and walks back and how much food we got. Listen to the motor. Listen to the wheels. 
Listen with your ears and with your hands on the steering wheel. Listen with the palm of your hand on the gear shift lever. Listen with your feet on the floorboards. Listen to the pounding old jalopy with all your senses. For a change of tone, a variation of rhythm may mean a week here. That's rattle. That's tappets. Don't hurt a bit. Tappets can rattle till Jesus comes again without no harm. But that thudding as the car moves along, can't hear that. Just kind of feel it. Maybe oil isn't getting someplace. Maybe a bearing's starting to go. Jesus, if it's a bearing, what'll we do? Monday's going fast, and why's the son of a bitch heat up so hot today? This ain't no climb. Let's look. God almighty, the fan belt's gone. Here, make a belt out of this little piece of rope. Let's see how long. There. I'll split the ends. Now, take her slow. Slow till we can get to a town. That rope belt won't last long. We can only get to California, where the oranges grow before this here old jug blows up, if only we can. In the tires, two layers of fabric worn through. Only four-ply tire. Maybe get a hundred miles more out of her if we don't hit a rock and blower. Which will take a hundred maybe miles more to spoil the tube. Which a hundred miles? Well, that's something you got to think about. We got tube patches. Maybe when she goes, she'll only spring a leak. How about making a boot? Maybe 500 more miles, let's go on till she blows. <coughs> we got to get a tire, but Jesus, they want a lot for that old tire. They look a fella over, they know he got to go on. They know he can't wait, and the price goes up. Take it or leave it, I ain't in business for my health. I'm here selling tires. I ain't giving them away. I can't help what happens to you, I got to think what happens to me. How far is the next town? I seen 42 cars that you fellas go by yesterday. Where you all come from? Where you all going? Well, California is a big state. It ain't that big. The whole United States ain't that big. It ain't that big. It ain't big enough. There ain't room enough for you and me and for your kind and my kind for rich and poor together all in one country for thieves and honest men for hunger and fat. Why don't you go back to where you come from? This is a free country. A fella can go where he wants. That's what you think. Ever hear of the Border Patrol and the California Line Police from Los Angeles stopped you bastards, turned you back. Says if you can't buy no real estate, we don't want you. Says you got a driver's license, let's see it. Tore it up. Says you can't come in with no driver's license. It's a free country. We'll try to get some freedom to do. Fella says you're just as free if you got jack to pay for it. In California, they got high wages. I got a handbill here that tells about it. Baloney, I seen folks coming back, somebody's kidding you. You want that tire or don't you? Got to take it, but Jesus, mister, it cuts into our money. We ain't got much left. Well, I ain't no charity. Take her along. Got to, I guess. Let's look her over, open her up. Look at the casings. You son of a bitch, you said the casings was good. She's broke damn near through. The hell she is. Well, by George, how come I didn't see that? You did see it, you son of a bitch. You want to charge us four bucks for a busted casing. I'd like to take a sock at you. Now keep your shirt on. I didn't see it. I tell you here, I tell you what I'll do. I'll give you this one for three fifty. You'll take a flying jump at the moon. We'll try to make the next town. Think we can make it on that tire? Got to. I'll go to the rim before I give that son of a bitch a dime. 
What do you think a guy in business is? Like he says, he ain't in it for his health. That's what business is. What do you think it was? Fellas got to see that sign alongside the road there. Service club. Luncheon Tuesday. Calmado Hotel. Welcome, brother. That's a service club. Fella had a story. Went to one of them meetings and told the story to all them businessmen. Said I was a said I was a kid. My old man gave me a haltered heifer and says, take her down and get her serviced. And the fella says, I done it. And every time since then I hear businessmen talking about the service, I wonder who's getting screwed. Fella in business got a lying sheet, but he calls it something else. That's what's important. You go steal that tire and you're a thief, but he tried to steal your $4 for a busted tire. Call that sound business. Danny in the backseat wants a cup of water. Have to wait. Got no water here. Listen, that the rear end? Can't tell. Sound telegraphs through the frame. There goes a gasket. Got to go. Hold on. Listen to her whistle. Find a nice place to camp and I'll jerk the head off. Pause. But by God almighty, the food's getting low. The money's getting low. We can't buy no more gas. What then? Danny in the back seat wants a cup of water. Little fella's thirsty. Listen to that gasket whistle. She rice. There she went. Blowed tube encasing all the hell. Have to fix her. Save that casing to make more boots, cut them out, and stick them inside a weak place. Cars pulled up beside the road, engine heads off, tires mended. Cars limping along 66 like wounded things, panting and struggling. Too hot, loose connections, loose bearings, rattling bodies. Danny wants a cup of water. People in flight along 66 and the concrete road shone like a mirror under the sun and in the distance the heat made it seem that there were pools of water in the road. Danny wants a cup of water. He'll have to wait, poor little fella. He's hot. Next service station's... Next service station. Service station, like the fella says. 250,000 people over the road. 50,000 old cars wounding, steaming. Wrecks along the road abandoned. Well, what happened to them? What happened to the folks in that car? Did they walk? Where are they? Where does the courage come from? Where does the terrible faith come from? And here's a story you can hardly believe, but it's true, and it's funny, and it's beautiful. There was a family of 12, and they were forced off their land. They had no car. They built a trailer out of junk and loaded on with their possessions. They pulled it to the side of 66 and waited. Pretty soon a sedan picked them up. Five of them rode in the sedan, and seven on the trailer, and a dog on the trailer. They got to California in two jumps. The man who pulled them fed them. And that's true. But how can such courage be in such faith in their own species? Very few things would teach such faith. The people in flight from the terror behind, excuse me, strange things happened to them. Some bitterly cruel, some bitterly cruel, and some so beautiful that faith is refired forever. Big ups. Movie podcast. Thank you for listening.